Hey folks, thank you for watching in. We are here at Hidden Magic TV talking to Maura Sweeney, author and speaker and podcast owner. She's going to talk about happiness and talk a little bit about, about your background. Where are you from? And I call myself a New Jersey escape babe. I love the Jersey Shore, but I never liked cold weather and always used to think about Florida. So I grew up in New Jersey, went to school in Boston, and over 30 years ago, my husband and I were very lucky. He got an offer to come down here to Florida, and we have never looked back. Now, when you when you were looking at moving, growing up in Jersey, were you scared? Yes, not because I was living in New Jersey, but I actually grew up with so much fear, it was ridiculous. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why I could relate so well to people today. Yeah. Because fear is really the opposite of happiness and freedom. That's good. Now, when you were thinking about or when you are contemplating doing the move, because a lot of people, hopefully people that are outside of Florida that are watching, they're going to want, or they have that fear, they want to move. What would you tell them if they're thinking about it and they're talking themselves out of it? Well, first, I have to, I'm smiling because I have to tell you something funny. I actually felt like we got lucky. My husband and I were both working for the same firm. Right. And there was a downturn in the economy. We both lost our jobs. And both of us had families that would have probably preferred to have us in Jersey. But my husband got the first opportunity and happened to be down in Florida. So that was our ticket out. So sometimes we could get extricated from something. And we may think it's bad news, but it actually is a great gateway to something better. So um, I was thrilled because it took care of the guilt factor. Guilt. Now, did you have guilt leaving your family, leaving them, knowing what you were coming to? I had a lot of joy coming down to Florida, but I felt that the, that the fact that my husband had a paying job right. down here took away a lot of that guilt that otherwise might have been there. Now, me and my friend, he lives across the, across the country. We've talked because we both left our area where we grew up, and we are transplants in our respective areas. Now, we deal with guilt because we enjoy a lot of things that back home they don't get to see. Did you deal with that when you were coming to Florida, like the beaches and the weather and being able to go to Disney? And... Yeah, I'm not a Disney person, but I did say I love the Jersey Shore. I love being near the beach. I love the, the rush of the Atlantic Ocean. But every time the, the uh, leaves would start falling off the trees, like football season, it'd be like, oh no, it's the cold weather. I'm going to feel like I need to be indoors all the time. Staying warm, I never liked cold weather. So coming down here, no, this was like moving to paradise. Now, you said Jersey Shore. What's a better beach? Jersey Shore or Clearwater? Ooh, I like them both for different reasons. I love the power of the big waves of the Atlantic Ocean, but it's a lot warmer swimming in the Gulf. So when you transitioned and you came to Florida, talk about, you told me that before that you were going into law, you were studying to be a lawyer? It's my whole backstory, yes. Okay. And now, was that like encouraged, seriously pushed on you by your family, that yes. they wanted you to become a lawyer? <laughs> I'm laughing now, which is a good thing in life, you can laugh about everything. But from the time, as long as I can remember, let's say five, six, it was after my grandfather passed away and he was an attorney, something he always wanted to do. He was exceptional in his career. But once he passed away, that was the word. Oh, Moore's going to be an attorney just like her grandfather. And there was only one thing. Nobody ever asked me if that's what I wanted to do. So imagine 
being this young person, not that any of it worked uh, to my detriment because right. I've taken everything in life and worked it to my advantage, but every step along the way I was always geared toward Maura is going to be an attorney. And within that, Dwayne, there were so many small elements. It's what do you look like? What do you speak like? What are your grades like? Who do you hang out with? Where are you not seen? What do you not do? Like, if I had my choice, I would have been out jumping rope in the street, taking dance classes, and instead my memories are sitting indoors taking piano classes, writing out thank you notes. I had my own um, special stationery as a very young girl with my name on it to say thank you to everyone. So, so it, was was, like, it was like you were being groomed. That is exactly what my best friend said to me, Maura, you were groomed from an early age. So imagine when everything in your upbringing is all geared toward this one final event. But that event is not a single event. It is a 40-odd year career. It's an identity. And it's not only an identity um, that requires an awful lot out of a person. To be an attorney, you can't just fool around at it. It is a calling. But beyond that, it was also to be living in a part of the country that I really didn't feel at home in. I was a warm climate person. So there were, there were a multitude of layers that were put on top of me, or let's say that I was groomed under or um, conformed to be, yeah. that really, you know, in many ways you'd feel, oh, it's very wonderful and uh, self-promoting, but in other ways it was also very limiting for me because I did not have the experiences maybe that some other kids had. Yeah, so you're kind of sheltered because there was this life that you they were preparing you for professionalism and being in yeah. the circle and being a certain type of standard, being an attorney and all that. Now, right. when was that, when did they tell you, your family, when did they tell you you were going to be an attorney? Do you remember about what age? They always told me from five on that more is going to be an attorney as if it was already decided for me by now, an authority. Okay, so then that leads me to this question. When you felt like that, when did you know in your soul, right, when did you know that you did not want to be an attorney? Well, I'll tell you that when I took my, uh, I went in for early admission to Georgetown, which is where my grandfather had attended, and in the admissions department, they were asking me several questions, and every question I had a negative response for. So I had worked in admissions later on in college, and I thought, I would give this position to someone else. So I could tell you, even as far back as then, if I'm supposed to be talking myself into why I should be at your university and why I should be a political science or a government major, every answer I get, got or gave was one that would disincline an admissions officer from saying, come on in. So I always knew this was not what I wanted to do. And underneath, I always knew those things that were important to me. So that was part of it. I ended up as a political science major at Boston College. I was chosen to work for Senator Kennedy as the, uh, it was my senior internship, and I was given a job there after school, and I was offered a permanent position. And then I enrolled in law school and took out loans, figuring from the get-go, if I ever leave or if ever I want to get out of this, no one is ever going to say to me, but we paid for you to do that. And so that it was a little bit of a back back door out for me. But I have to tell you that I just, there was an awful lot of expectation put on me. And I also have to say, and maybe your listeners could understand this, sometimes we could have outsiders put expectations on us, but we could also be the kind of individuals that feel that sense of obligation, that feel that sense of, I've got to make people happy. And I was one of those people. 
So you were doing this to be a people pleaser. Uh, yes. So what advice, because I know there's going to be people out there, they, especially college kids, you know, grad students, they're taking a career path that they really don't want to do, but it's expected of them. Okay. Sounds good, right? So what, what advice would you give them? What encouragement would you give them? I always say this, and, and it's so true for me, and it's true for everyone. Take time out for yourself. Get yourself, whether it's in a quiet room, a quiet place, and separate yourself from all the external messaging, all the guilt, all the expectations, all the chatter. And sometimes chatter, like in my case, it came from family. But what happens if it comes from people that you put on a pedestal somewhere, or somebody that left you with a thought? and find out what's real, what's important, what's genuine for you. And underneath, someone said this to me, they said, I think you never lost touch with who you were as a very young person. And I knew as a young person, those things that were important to me. And so I would always use that private time to make sure, even though I was a people pleaser here, that I would keep a separate channel running. Right. And I would do and give place to those things that were important to me. So you do need to make that, have that time for yourself and say, all right, should I give you one, one takeaway? Yes. This is what I always tell people because it's very simple. We have a lot of matter up here and there's a lot of busy matter in our intellect. Right. But do you know that wherever you put your hands, your attention goes. Like, do you ever hear somebody laugh? Sometimes they'll go down to their belly. Right here. You close your eyes. You quiet yourself down. And all of a sudden now, your attention's moved from your intellect and the chatter to your heart and your soul. And you say... What was I doing when nobody told me what to do it? What was I thinking about? What things were important to me when I was little? What did I play with? What did I imagine? What were some of my dreams? What was I fascinated by? You could ask yourself any one of those types of questions. What was the most fun I ever had? When did I get so excited? But ask one question. And just sit there quietly while you have your hand here. And all of a sudden, you'll either see a picture, you'll get a memory, a word will come back to you. Maybe it was a movie you watched or a little book you were reading when you were a child. And just like that, it will resonate. It's almost like you have this internal knowing, and it'll come back if you give place to it. And here's the thing. Most of us, especially in today's society, Dwayne, we are so inundated with information and social media and messaging, we forget our right. internal person. A lot of companies, organizations are pushing their message on us. Because it benefits them. And we're not listening to our own internal message. Exactly. And I could, yeah. I, used to, I was called like the GPS to happiness or your own GPS to where your soul wants to take you. And that's a powerful place. Yeah. I, I've referred to it as like a moral compass. Yeah. You know, where your moral compass will kind of point you and guide you. I had an offer. I was uh, doing my thing, and I got a call from, uh, it was a casino in, in Vegas. This was about six or so years ago, and they were doing something with their one of their restaurants, and they got a hold of my promotional stuff. And, you know, the guy, the manager at the time, he offered, he said, hey, come out, let's have a conversation. We're going to find me out. We were talking, and he said, but before, you know, before we would get, really get into this, you need to know that you're going to probably do, like, six days a week going to have you work 10 or 11 hours a day he said so you're traveling and the road stuff you do probably won't happen but you'll make up for that because we'll pay you a decent and I, and I sat there and I thought about it and I said you know a lot of entertainers would jump at this but it was just one of those things at the time my compass it just didn't point there and it's and, and 
listening to it, I haven't regretted not doing it um, because I had to trust what my compass was saying. I just, I remember I, I quieted myself and I just said, okay, do I really want to go there and do it? And the answer was no. And I called him back and I said, hey, look, I appreciate the offer, even just to have conversation. But I said, I just, that's just not what I want to do. So other people want to do things and they're scared to do those things. Talk to them about how they overcome fear and how fear prevents happiness. First of all, I just want to go back and reinforce what you just said. Sounds like a good offer. You could talk yourself into it, but your inside knower, it's the knower that says no, right? It's not good for me. I want to connect that with energy. You know when it's really for you. It's like your insides get excited and you have this increase in energy. And the other no is, it's like you, if you had a smile inside of you, it just goes like this. It loses steam. And I had to do that. Now, I told you I couldn't wait to move to Florida and I realize I'm digressing here, but it's important for anybody to hear this. When we moved to Florida and I had left law school, um, I was in sales management and we had the top office in the United States out of 34 offices. And it was like, whoa, Moore, this is really great. You're going to get the, you know, the branch manager of the year award, chairman's award. And I was offered not one, but two promotions to move very quickly up the ladder. One was to Manhattan, 10 minutes away from where I grew up, didn't want to live there. Uh, and the other one was to Chicago where the home office was. And you know what? Sounds real good. Like, oh, because everybody wants more money. They want a better title. And you know something? They were all saying, a war will be a big increase. And all I could think about it, it's so much more expensive to live up there. This is not my calling to be in the telecom industry. And it was a no. And I didn't regret it because there was a quality of life that I wanted that was out, was in addition to what I was doing inside the office, it was the overall picture of life. And it was that internal knower that said no. Never regretted that either. So for those people that are choosing, they feel like they're making a choice they're making a decision based on income, they're making a decision based on money, but a lot of times those decisions may not ultimately really lead to happiness, right? So how do they make the difference between the choice of what they really wanna do versus this obligation of they have to hit an income level or they have to make X amount of dollars or they have to, you know, how would you suggest or coach them to, to handle that? Two answers are coming to mind. Number okay. one is we all have an ego. And the ego is fashioned by what we put value on or what we've been taught to put value on. And we know in our society, oh, it's more money, it's more stuff. But what if that money and stuff is not necessarily going to make you, with your internal knower, your moral compass, if it really doesn't give you what you're looking for, it may satisfy somebody out there, but who's going to pay your mortgage? Who's going to pay for that fancy car? Not that there's anything wrong with a big mortgage on a nice house or a payment for a fancy car, but the question is, and this is for everybody, is it your fancy car? Is it your home because it's the one you envisioned for yourself? Or are you trying to put it up because it will give other people the impression that you're important? Because if you buy things or if you do things for the wrong reason, nobody that sells that car or that house or that job to you is going to have to pay the piper. You pay the piper with your energy going to work every single day to pay for the stuff. So here's the second thing. Number one, know yourself and know who am I apart from 
all these messages and let me be true to myself with the other thing I think is equally important. And my husband and I have had to do this. We wanted to make a big change in midlife. Uh, we closed a business uh, when our daughter was getting ready to go to college because we wanted to do something that was meaningful, namely what I'm doing today. But we had a large home, we had a big overhead, and um, you know what we decided? We were going to move to something smaller. And a lot of people are like, what are you doing? You're giving up the so-called high life? We designed, we found a place to live in that was easier. Yes. But then we also rearranged everything in our home. We got rid of mostly everything. And I'm going to use this word. Some people might call it being a minimalist, and it's not. I would call it a purist. So for anybody listening today, here's what it is. Why not think about the values that are really important to you? One of mine was getting a baby grand piano. I played piano growing up, but I always had an upright. I always wanted a grand piano. Seems crazy? I have a grand piano sitting in the middle of the kitchen, and I play it, and it gives me such incredible pleasure. Yeah. In what should be the dining room, it's my office. It is grand central for every blog I'm writing, the podcasts I do, the interviews I do. It's finding the spaces that say, this is who I am. And guess what? It, when you know who and what you are, when you know your own values, when you know what's important to you, then guess what? Now you're a purist and all the other stuff, there's go. Much. And then you don't have to be worrying all the time about maintaining all this extraneous stuff, which is a drain on energy as well as resources. I mean, it's like you're juggling balls to keep so many people happy. And the last person that's dropping the ball, you're dropping the ball on yourself. And the person you should be making happy is yourself. And you're not making yourself happy because you're trying to focus on making other people happy. Yeah, and if I could go back to that thing about the law school, I was midway through law school, and I should really show you a picture of what I looked like at 23. I was a dead man walking, dead girl, dead woman walking, whatever. I looked like somebody opened up a coffin, said, stand up and walk. Because what was happening is that I was pursuing this three-year study program postgraduate preparing then for, you know, a bar exam, which only I think 37% of the people would pass first go around, so that was more work. And then staying in that New York, New Jersey area, a place I didn't want to live, for 40 odd years so I could finally get the gumption up to say, okay, I'm old enough to retire so I can move to Florida. That, you're it's easy to laugh about it now, but you know what I looked and felt like? I felt like every morning I was pulling up a bag of bricks on my shoulder. It was so heavy, so tiring, so exhausting. And meanwhile, I am amassing um, student debt that I also have to pay back. So think about, you could relate that, my reality, to anybody else's. That's why it's so important. Do what's important to you because once you do, you start finding and mining your own energy. I was working against energy. Yes. I was working against gravity that was pulling me down. I'm a big believer, you know, not to get too uh, in a gray area, but I'm a big believer that we are all put on this earth and we have our mission. And something, someone, some higher power has placed that mission within us. And I'm a big believer that if we're not doing that mission, we're restless. People are restless. They're restless. Their soul's restless. They don't sleep well. They're antsy. They're a little irritated. And I really do believe that's because the soul isn't doing what it's supposed to do. And the soul's telling you what to do. Right? It's telling you we should be doing this. And there are people out there that are probably in law school that are great photographers or they're great artists or they're great musicians. But they've been told all their life, well, those, those careers don't make money. And how are you going to make a good income? Or how are you going to make, you know, and it's, it's 
sad to see that there are people out there that want to do these things, but they're fearful of either disappointing somebody or they're told or they've been brainwashed to believe that they have to chase a dollar, right? So how did you deal with, we got to talk about your family. Okay. We love the family, the family's cool. But sometimes you got to love the family from a distance, right? So when you really made the decision to say, okay, I'm not doing law school. How did you first, how did you get the, the gumption, as you say, to really break that news? And what was that reaction like? Yeah, but I have to tell you, it was actually very frightening on a number of levels, and I'll tell you why. And I think people could relate to this in their own way. I told you I felt like every day I get out of, out of bed and I have to carry this heavy load. And I would refer to this other heavy load as the other Mora, the Mora I was supposed to be. And over time, that became so heavy. There was one day, I can remember this, I was recently married. I couldn't get out of the chair I was sitting in. I'd study in the morning before I'd put myself in the car and drive to school. I couldn't get out of the chair. It was like it was getting so heavy that I literally couldn't get out of chair to get to class. My husband came home from work that night. He said, Aurora, he said, I thought you'd be at school. I opened my mouth to give him an excuse and nothing came out. I was like, that was scary. It was as 